0: Well, today we're going to be continuing this study that we've been in in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you're brand new, not only welcome, but inside your program is a message note sheet that will help you follow along. And so definitely you want to pull that out. It's green and white. And uh, we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're excited about what, we're, what you're doing in our church and what we're learning in this series, this epic vision that you've called us to be a part of. And so we pray that today you would just give us uh, great wisdom, you'd speak clearly, I pray for clarity as I speak, energy, uh, just strength. I pray that um, we would really zoom in on what your spirit is hearing, we'd kind of attune our ears to his frequency, and we would hear loud and clear, and then when we leave, we'd be different than when we came, and we pray this in your name, amen. amen. Well today we're continuing this series that we started at the beginning of the month, um, it's called Epic the Vision, as you've seen on the screens. And uh, this is a series, that's, it's based on the letter from, uh, from the Apostle Paul to uh, some Christ followers in the region of a major city in the ancient Roman Empire. It was called Ephesus. It was uh, in the, the, the province of Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. And so uh, in this letter, it's one of my favorite letters of Paul because it's his most uh, far-reaching letter. It's, uh, in this letter, he's sharing God's vision for all of creation, a vision that starts before time began a vision that's being worked out right now in real time, and a vision that's brought to fruition at the end of time when Jesus comes back. And so uh, the very first week in this series in January, we took some time and did a quick flyby on the first 14 verses where Paul kind of lays out this epic vision. Uh, And and so we, we kind of went through it, kind of got the big picture. And then I promised that we would come back in the next three weeks and delve deeper into different sections of it to make sure we're clear on this vision that God has to bring all of creation under the leadership of King Jesus and the part that we play in it. And so this is the third and final week of kind of finishing up that that section. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles, got your apps, just go ahead and turn them on, uh, open up, and we'll go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. And there in your note she's a section called Epic the Promise. And so it starts off, and he says in verse 11, "That's where we left off last week, in him, uh, in Christ, we were chosen. And so we've talked about this a lot in this series. We spent a lot of time last week that, that one of the, the parts of this vision is that uh, Paul has said several times that before time began that God has chosen us as followers of Jesus to be part of this epic uh, plan that he has. And so what this means is that our lives truly are epic in, in the truest, deepest sense of the word. That we talk about having a living an epic life, we're not, we're not making this up. It's not contrived, it's not artificial, it's not superficial, it's deep, it's it's deeply rooted in the reality of God Himself. And so he says, In him uh, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So God's a planner, he's got a plan, we're part of that plan. Now the question is, where is this plan leading? Up to this point in this intro, Paul has said we've been chosen before time, that we have been chosen to be forgiven, we've chosen to be adopted as his sons and daughters of the king with all rights and privileges that come with that. Uh, we've been chosen to participate with him and help uh, in this cosmic recreation project to bring all of creation under the leadership of King Jesus. But the question is, Why? What's the ultimate reason for this plan? What's the ultimate reason for this vision? And that's what Paul gives us in verse 12. He says, uh, the reason is in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ. Now, Paul talking about himself as a a Jewish Christ follower who came to Jesus very early in the movement. So he's one of the first. He says, it's in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his what? Glory. Glory. And I want you to catch that word, very important word. But here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is that the, the whole purpose of this incredible story that God's telling is the end result is that we would live for the praise of his glory. That God would be revealed for who he is and all his beauty, his excellence, his power, and that all of creation would see that and, and kind of come to worship him. And so this whole story is about his glory. And we're going to come back to that uh, later on. And then he says in verse 13, he says, and you also, now he's saying, you Ephesian Christ followers, uh, you who are uh, uh, your Gentiles, you've come to Jesus later in life, later in the movement. He says, You also were included in Christ, you became part of Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, so you, you heard of the message, you came to Jesus, you became part of Christ. And he said, then having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And that seal is the promised Holy Spirit. So uh, in ancient times, and we talked about this the very first week, is that in ancient times when you would send a letter, if it was an important letter and you wanted to make sure the sender knew it was authentic, you would put a seal, like a wax seal on that letter to authenticate it. It would be your seal that would show this is really coming from Mike Yearly. It's not made up. Dave Cox is not writing a screwy letter and claiming Mike sent it. That... uh, that it's like, this is really my killing because I'm going to protect that seal. No one gets my seal, right? Uh, and so you'd send merchandise overseas. Uh, you would uh, have slaves. You would mark them with a seal, a brand. This belongs to me, right? So what, what Paul is saying is that when you came to Jesus, he died for you. He purchased you. You belong to him. And so when you come to Jesus, he puts a seal on you. You belong to him now, and that seal is the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? And we'll come back to that. But then he goes on and talks more about the Holy Spirit, and he changes the analogy, and he says the Holy Spirit, verse 14, is a deposit. In the Greek, it's, uh, the word is like down payment. It's a, a, de- a deposit or a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. So we're kids of the king, right? We've been adopted. And God's promised us that he's going to come back, uh, Jesus is going to come back, and that he's going, to, he's going to redeem our bodies, that we're going to get new bodies, and we're going to rule with him in this new heavens and this new earth, very physical reality, and, that's the, and we're going to inherit the future, all that he has, right? That's the promise. He says, well, the Holy Spirit is the down payment that is guaranteeing our inheritance as his kids. And so he says, verse 14, who is a deposit, down payment, Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption, the buyback of those who are God's possession, that's us, uh, and once again to the praise of his glory. And so he says, though, that, that when you come to Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that is his guarantee in your life. So we understand how this works with down payments, right? Like when you go to buy a car, you go to buy a house, that, how do they know you're serious? How do they know you really have the money or the means? Well, one of the ways is, okay, put a down payment on this. And when you put a down payment, that's your guarantee that you're serious and you have the means and the ability to come back and fulfill that and purchase the whole thing, right? So so the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. And we're going to talk about this a lot today, but your experience of the Holy Spirit is your guarantee that this whole epic vision is true, it's real, that Jesus is coming back. He's going to give you a new body. You're going to rule with him forever. Your current experience of the Holy Spirit is your guarantee of that reality. Okay? And then the last thing he says is this is all then once again to the praise of his what? Glory. So this whole plan to redeem us, restore us, new heavens, new earth, all energy, it's all to the praise of his glory. Second time he said that. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, I want to introduce you to two just core concepts that are essential for us to understand if we're going to understand God's epic vision for all of creation and our role in it, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Epic, two core concepts. And what I'm going to do for each one is I'm going to throw out a word it's a single word that's going to encapsulate like an umbrella over the whole big picture concept. If you get the concept, then you can understand the vision. If you, if you miss these, you can't really understand this whole story that God is telling. And so the first word. The first word is the word spirit. The spirit. That, that Paul says that we've been gifted on the spirit, uh, that we've not only been chosen, we've not only been forgiven... We've not only been adopted, but we've received um, the Spirit. And I want you to see what he, how he refers to the Spirit. He says in verse 13, look at the middle of the verse, having believed, you were marked in him, that seal, right? With a seal. And then he says the what? The promised, the Spirit. promised Holy Spirit. Can we say that together? The promised Holy Spirit. Now, what does he mean, the promised Holy Spirit? What's he referring to? Well, this is hard for us as modern day Christ followers to get this. Like, we we pretty much understand this. When we come to Jesus, we get two gifts, right? We get the gift of forgiveness of our sins, and we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Chances are, if you've been a Christian any length of time, well, you know that. Like, hey, as a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit, when you come to Christ, you go, Yeah, I know that, right? But as modern day Christ followers, it is extremely difficult for us to understand the significance of this, both historically and experientially. And so let me unpack that again. What Paul is talking about is in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, God said, I want you to be my people, right? And they said, yeah, we want in. And he said, okay, so here's the path to life. He gave them his law, the commandments, the path to life, right? here, Let's walk like this. But over their history, they could never keep them. And the reason they could never keep them is not because they're bad laws, is because they're bad people. There's something wrong with us as human beings. We'll talk about this when we get to chapter two. We're broken. We have this natural magnetic pull to the dark side, the things which destructive, polluting. So they're part of that human race. And so, though here's the path to life, they're gonna keep going to keep getting off the track. And so, uh, this gets so bad that they end up losing their nation, losing their temple, losing their capital. They're shipped off in 586 BC to Babylon, They they go into exile. And so the prophets begin to predict that one day God's going to solve this problem, that one day God's going to break into human history and and that the kingdom of God's going to come. And when God comes and when Messiah comes, he's not only going to forgive our sins, but he's going to write his law on our hearts that he's going to change us from the inside out. And the way he's going to do this, he's going to send his Holy Spirit to change us and empower us. And so not only does will God live in like in a temple anymore, but he will live in our lives. And we will experience the presence of God, the life-transforming presence of God, who will change us into be the people we were designed to be when we were first created. And so in the Old Testament, there are many prophecies about this coming day, this coming kingdom of God when Messiah comes. I want to give you a field just for one of them. They're in your note sheet is, uh, from Ezekiel 36. And this is written when Israel is in captivity, uh, in exile, in Babylon. And God says, you know, in that day, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'm going to change you at a heart level. I will remove your heart of stone, you know, your, your hard, uh, insensitive, cold hearts and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a new heart, a heart that pursues me. It's warm, it's, it's moldable. And I'll put my spirit where? In you, right? Temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. I'll put my spirit in you. I'll move in, and I will move you. I love that. He says, I won't just tell you what to do. I will move you. In other words, I'll create new hungers, new passions, new desires. I will move you towards what is right and true and good. He says, I'll move you. Uh, to follow my decrees and, and be careful to keep my laws. And so, so this 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 is what Paul's said, the promised Holy Spirit, that there was one day God would break into human history, he would do something entirely new, and he would solve the problem of our lives at a heart level. He would change at a heart level. And so, of course, when Jesus comes, this is what he says, after I leave, the Holy Spirit's coming, right? And so then uh, Jesus goes ascends to the right hand of the Father. Ten days later, he sends the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit comes with power, and the church is born. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, now the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and, and this is why in the New Testament, we are called in the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God has come. This is our birthright as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is part of our adoption. And this is what Paul is talking about, the promised Holy Spirit. Now for you and I, we are very, we're, we're, we're comfortable, we're, we're very um, familiar with this concept. For Paul, he's blown away. I'm living in the era of the Holy Spirit. It's like this, we've been praying for this for hundreds of years, and God is now coming. I, I want you to catch this. Often as followers of Jesus today, we focus on the cross of Jesus as being the important thing. I, don't want to, I want to be very clear. It is the important thing because the cross is what makes everything else possible. But I want you to catch this. The cross is a means to an end. The cross is what paid for the atonement of our sins so that God could invade our lives. You see? Are you with me here? That the cross is, is not the end of the story. The cross is the mechanism that God used to prepare the way so he could invade our lives and live with us again. This is the end of the story, that the spirit would come and he would dwell within us, he would live, live within us, he would lead us, he would guide us, he would speak us, he would teach to us, and he would empower us, change us from the inside out to live the lives we're created to live. That's what this game is about, you see? And so Paul says, You've received the promised Holy Spirit. Okay. That's enough on that one for now. All right, we'll come back. Oh, no, we won't. I need I, one I, more. All right. No. Okay, so what Paul is saying in this passage, he says, the catch is, he says, your experience with the Holy Spirit is not only the, the, the mark that you belong to Jesus, like when other people look at you and they say, that person's really different. Like, what's, what's with them? He's like, oh, that's the seal of the Holy Spirit. He's given him new desires, new motivations, see? He says, not only is he the seal, but he's your guarantee of that this whole story is true. He says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, like God has put money down on your life. He says, your experience of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that this whole story about epic being chosen before creation Uh, uh, forgiven, adopted part of God's cosmic plan that one day he's coming back to to redeem your body new bodies, new heavens, new earth reign with him forever so he can love you forever he says your present experience of the Holy Spirit is your guarantee your experience of the Holy Spirit is what should be the most tangible thing in your life that this story is true now we'll leave it. All right. We'll come back. Now, number two, the second word, and this would take a little bit more time because it's a little bit harder to get our hands around, is the word glory. And we've seen in this narrative, these, this opening barakah, these opening 12 verses where Paul is blessing God, you know, in Hebrew barakah. in the opening berakah, uh, three times in 12 verses, Paul says the end game is the glory of God. The end game is that God would receive the glory, that the whole world would see who he is and result in praise and worship and and affection and love that God would be revealed. That's the end game, right? Three times he said that. Now, uh, what you see that this, if you study this in the Bible, you see the Bible comes back to this time and time again. Like if you want to do an interesting study, we'll do a little bit in our life groups this week, but if you want to do an interesting study, just study this theme of glory. Right? And you're going to learn well, and how it all leads to the glory of God, the end game. Um, but I want to give you a couple examples just to give you a feel for this. In Colossians chapter 1, which uh, Colossians written the same time as Ephesians, from the same prison, same author, very similar uh, topics. And Paul is talking about Jesus and the, uh, as the Messiah. And he says, For in him, in other words, in Christ, um, for by him, rather, all things were created. Okay, so Jesus is the creator of the cosmos, all things created by Jesus, right? And he said, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, so physical realm, spiritual realm, demonic, angelic realm, uh, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and what? For him. You see that? All of creation was designed by him, uh, created through him, and it was created, catch us, for him. You were created for him. Just like a painting is painted by the painter for his purposes, your life exists for him. That's why you were designed. Right? Uh, look at the next one, Romans 11. Paul talking about God the Father and his wisdom, and he says, for by, from him, from God the Father, from him and through him and to him are all things. He's the source, he's the means, and he's the goal of all creation." and he said, to him be the what? Glory Glory forever. All right, so so he's the source. Now, this is where it gets interesting, and this is where I'm going to need to break this down a little bit, because this is a little hard for us to understand. Like, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Maybe you've never felt like this. I think many people have felt like this, that, you know, you read this, and it's like, this is all about the glory of God. This is all, it's by him, it's through him, it's for him, that you exist for him, I exist for him, all creation exists for him, And there's a part of us, I think, sometimes it says, well, wait a second. Isn't that a little self-centered, right? Like, isn't like, like, I've been taught my whole life. It's not about you, you know, live for others, right? It's not about your glory. Don't work for the applause of people, you know? It's like, uh, you know, and yet here's God going, yeah, it's all about me, you know? It's all about me. Uh, And as you read that, it's like, well, that feels a little narcissistic, you know? It feels like, you know, shouldn't it be about us, you know? Like about us, and then that would make you look better if it was all about us and... You know, he said you loved us. I mean, so isn't that it? You know, and and so we'll struggle with this sometimes, and it's like, well, you know, wait a second, uh, is that really kind of right? Is that, it almost feels like a king who's like, yeah, I've got all these subjects, and they sit around all day and tell me how awesome I am. You know, and it's like just wonderful. And uh, it's like, well, that didn't sound so good, right? So, of course, the problem is, is that we always look at this through human eyes. We look at it it's like, if I were God. which I often think I am. Um, you know, if I were God, that would be inappropriate, you know? Yeah, well, it would be if you were God, you know? Like, like, like you know, it would be inappropriate for you because you're not God, like you're nothing, right? So, so to act like you're everything when you're nothing is really kind of, you know, miss, you know. What I want to walk you through is I want to walk you through some observations that I think will help you understand this at a heart level, why it's not only true that everything is for him, but why it's the only thing that could ever be true. It's the only thing that makes sense. So, so just walk with me through. I want you to think of amazing experiences in your life. There are certain experiences we have in life that are absolutely amazing, blow us away, that we are just become raving fans of, right? So let me just give you two or three examples. Um, you're out in the desert. Uh, you're camping in the desert. Your first question is, why would I be camping in the desert? Just play with, go along with me. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, you're with the Boy Scouts, whatever. You know, okay, you got to do this. You're winding guide to your dad, you know, whatever. You're roped into this thing. But uh, anyway, you're in the desert. It's a cold winter night. You know, you're out in California desert, and and it's kind of a cool winter. And so you get up, you have to go to the bathrooms, get out of your tent, and you, you go out, and it is just brilliant. I mean, like this, a full moon, and that moon is illuminating all of the desert floor, mountains in the distance. It's just like, it is just gorgeous, right? And just the stars are so bright and so many. It almost like takes your breath away. Second scene. I'm going to paint several scenes for you. Second scene. You're down at Malibu. You're, uh, it's, it's August. It's a beautiful, warm day. You're out about 8 o'clock at night, and the sun is setting. And as you're out in the water, you're out, in the water is so warm and you're just so comfortable. You're, you're out there, and you're up to your neck in water and you're looking off, and you're watching the sun come down. It's about ready to set, and the sun's coming down. this big, huge golden ball, and all of a sudden, it hits the edge of the water, and when it hits the edge of the water, it all turns golden, and it's just spectacular. It's just beautiful. Next scene. You are a big sports fan. And you are at the New York Giants game. Okay. Let me preface this one. Let's pretend that we like the New York Giants. Now, I understand for all you Dallas fans, this is asking a lot. But. <laughs> you're, you're a Giants fan, right? So you're, you're there that day, and there was a day. The, the sports fans would get this. The others just play along and pretend. You're there the day that Odell Beckham made the three-finger catch, right? The one that ESPN played like 3,000 times the next two days. Like he is there. He is defying gravity. He's defying physics. He is going backwards with a defender on him, and with three fingers, Reaches up and snags that ball impossibly. It's just only impossible. And he makes the catch and scores a touchdown. And the place is going crazy. The announcers, this is the best catch of all time, right? And you have just witnessed it. If you're a sports fan, you'll get this. If you don't. uh. Now we're going to move on. Um, We're going to talk about this amazing dress. No, it's kidding. Uh, Okay. Okay, here's one maybe we can all relate to, or m- more of us. Uh, concert, your favorite band. You've been waiting for years to see. They've been your favorite band forever. You've never seen them live. And now there's a, a major event, and you're, you're, whatever, you've saved up your money, and you're going, and you've got, like, front row seats, and you are there, thousands of other people, and they are just knocking it out of the park. And the the music is just moving you. It's just powerful. And they're just song after song. And they get to the end, and no one wants it to stop. And the crowd is going crazy. Everyone's got their phones up. and, And they're like calling for encores. And it's encore after encore. And it's the most amazing musical experience you've ever had in your life. Last example. You are witnessing, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's firsthand, but you are witnessing an epic story of great sacrifice and courage. Maybe it's like the movie Unbroken. Maybe it's a story about Mother Teresa. But it's just something that is just this, the sacrifice, the love, the compassion, the courage, and it is moving you at a heart level. There is something that says this is what life is about, and you're deeply moved, okay? Now, I've painted five pictures there. because I'm, I'm trying to get everybody, right? Something you can identify with. Now, Here's, I want to make three observations about what happens in our lives when we see something amazing, when we say something that's beautiful, we see something that's powerful, we see excellence, raw excellence, we see brilliance. I want to suggest three observations about what happens to us as human beings when we witness something like, number one, you might want to write these down, number one is joy. Joy. The first thing that happens when you witness, when you come out and you see that, that moonlit night, when you're, when you're in the water at Malibu, when you're in the concert and they're during calling for an encore, when you read the story about a Mother tree, when you watch that catch, the first thing you experience is joy, that you are just so pumped up, you are so excited that you're just like, you, I, you want to see it again, you want more. It gives meaning, it gives purpose to our life. It's these kind of events we live for. It's these these kind, we want to repeat the event, we want to watch it again, we want more of that. There's something within the human heart that is designed to respond to excellence. We are built to pursue excellence. And when we see it, it gives us joy. Number two, Second observation, when we experience excellent, we want to share the experience. When you come out, you see that moonlit night, you, you're, you're standing in, in Malibu and water up to your neck, and the water turns golden, you're in that incredible concert, you want to tell someone, you want to look around, you want to find something, you want to, hey, did you see that? Did you experience that? This is why in our concerts where we're taking pictures and we're Instagramming them. It's why we're tweeting things out. We want to share the experience. And what do we want to share? How do we want to share it? We want to share it with praise. We want to say, did you see that? That's why when Odell Beckham makes that catch, the whole stadium rises on their feet and roars you want to share the experience and you want to praise the experience, you, in fact, catch this, the experience is not even complete until you can share it. That there's, be, like, if you get home and your wife wasn't at the concert, your buddy wasn't at the game, there was no one in the tent that night that you could share this with, that, that when that, you kind of come home, and you want to give them a blow-by-blow. Right? You, 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 know, you want to come on? It was amazing. And you start calling out the players or calling out the plays. I was standing out there, and I just came out, and I could see my breath. and It was just freezing. I wondered, why did I ever come on this trip? And then I looked up, and I, it was awesome, and the moon was shining. It was all over the place, and it was just like, it was almost like day. And then the stars, it was just, it was just so, it was so beautiful. It just took my breath away. And we want to tell the story. We want to praise the story, and we want to share the story. And until we share it, our joy is not complete. In fact, this is why it's such a bummer if you ever experience something cool and no one else is around. (laughs) Or you don't have your phone. You're like, "Oh, I forgot my phone. Ah," It's so painful to experience something amazing and have no one to tell. It's like the, the epitome of Loneliness. This is awesome. Who can I tell? No one. Okay, so number one, when we experience excellence, beauty, power, it brings us joy. And number two, we want to share it, we want to praise it. Number three, when we experience something amazing, we want the right people to get the credit. It's deeply, it's, this is how we're wired. You just watch yourself. I mean, this is why it was such an uproar when Al Gore came, you know, claimed responsibility for the internet. Yeah, I, I created that. Everyone's like, what? I think he lost the presidency that day. You know? <laughs> like, you, like, you don't, you know, like, have you ever been to a movie? This is a common theme in movies. Have you ever been to a movie? And, and the story is just there's this team, right? There's some crisis, and, and this team has to solve this crisis, but they have kind of a jerk leader they got the worst leader in the world, and he's just kind of authoritarian power hungry, and power-hungry, and he just he thinks he knows everything. And so you've got this crisis, and this team has to solve it, but you've got this horrible leader who's like, like undercutting the team at every angle. And of course, in the movie, they eventually pull off, because he's got some great team members, they pull off this amazing thing, and then when they pull it off, he takes the credit for it, Right? And all of a sudden, you know, the president's calling or the head of the business, or, you know, this guy's team, and he's like, yeah, that was me. And everyone's like, are you serious? Like, you were trying to undercut this. Whatever. You, you're like, you were the one that almost made this didn't work. And if you've ever been in a movie like that, you know this, everything within you is crying out against that leader. You want him to be exposed as a fraud. You want people to know the truth that it wasn't because of him. In fact, if it was up to him, you would have failed. And you can't wait until that point in the movie when the real people are revealed as these are the the geniuses. And this guy's humiliated. And these people are the geniuses. And it's their sacrifice. And their out-of-the-box thinking. And their hard work. And their brilliance to pull this off. And you go, yes, there's resolution. Why? Because we are designed that we want the right people getting the credit. It's the way we are. Okay, so three observations. You see greatness, it brings you joy and meaning. When you see greatness... You want to share the experience and praise the experience. And number three, when you see greatness, you want to make sure that the right people get the credit. Now, let's go back to the story of the Bible. This is the story of the Bible. And we talked about this in our last series in Genesis Chronicles. We are introduced in Genesis 1 to this amazing God who is brilliant, and he's powerful, and he's creative, and he's personal, and he's generous, and he's beautiful, and he's absolutely good, who out of his love creates this amazing creation. And it all leads up to the creation of the first man, the first woman to be his representatives. We created his image, and the whole story of the Bible is a story that all that you see in creation and every excellent thing that you ever will experience in your life is just a pale reflection of the God who's behind it all. You see that every experience you have in life that it's amazing that's beautiful that's powerful is a reflection that it's like the moon compared to the sun that that excellence is coming from the creator that beauty is coming from the creator this is all a result of him and when the holy spirit begins coming to our life as Christ followers and he begins revealing the truth about who God is and he is the source of all joy we find that he's the one we've been looking for our whole lives He's the one in searching for success, in searching for this pleasure, in searching for excellence, in searching for beauty, in searching for brilliance. I've been searching for him. He is the source of all things. And as we, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes for the first time, what, what do we want to do? We find joy and we find our ultimate meaning in life. But we next we want to share it with everyone around us. We want to praise this God. you got to exceed this one. You cannot believe it. And finally, we don't want anyone else to try to take the credit for what this God has done. You see? And so Paul says, hey, this whole story, he loves us. He chose us. He forgave us. He gave his son, can you believe it, to die and be butchered for us? And then he adopted us and he filled us with his spirit and he invited us to be part of this cosmic reclamation project to bring all things under King Jesus. And he said this whole thing was so that we could see his greatness and he could be revealed. And when you see it, you fall in love with it. When you see it, you want more of him and you're hungry for more of him. And when you see it, you want to share it with others. And when you see it, you want all of creation to give him the glory that he deserves. You don't want anyone else to get it. All right, so, so we got the spirit, we got the glory, right? Now these two things work together, and so there in your, your note sheet, next section, we get real practical for your lives, my life, epic two core questions, and here we go. Number one, the first question is, are you experiencing the spirit? Now, I want to talk about this one. I, I want to go back to what Paul says. Paul says that your experience of the Holy Spirit is your guarantee that this whole story is true. Are, are you with me on this? That's what he says. It's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of the redemption of your bodies, of your inheritance. This is your experience with the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to catch. If our experience of the Holy Spirit is strong, our confidence in the story, our joy in the story, and our conviction about the future will be strong. But if our experience of the Holy Spirit is slight, minimal, light, we will not get excited about the story, we'll not get excited about the storyteller, and we won't get excited about the next life. So our experience of the Holy Spirit here and now is what becomes the compelling force of the, the, the reality of the story and our part in it. Are you with me in this? Now, I remember uh, one of my favorite, one of my heroes in life was uh, the late Francis Schaeffer, a great thinker, apologist, and so on. And uh, he tells a story about his life. When he was, uh, when he was young, uh, he got married to, to Edith, uh, he was a follower of Jesus. He decided to go to seminary, to be a pastor. Uh, went to seminary. After seminary, they go to uh, Europe. Uh, it's post-World War II to help kind of rebuild Europe and to do uh, missionary work work with kids there. And so, uh, but he, he, after all of that, knowing Jesus, going to seminary, he just comes to a place in his life where he's just feeling dry spiritually. He's just feeling dead spiritually. And he begins kind of reading the word. And one day he comes out. To breakfast table, and he says to his wife, Edith, he said, Edith, let me ask you a question. What would happen if we took all the references to the Holy Spirit out of the Bible? Like, what if there was no reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible? How would you or life, how are you or I live our lives differently? Would there be any difference? Well, you know, we believe the Bible, we believe we have the Holy Spirit, because the Bible tells us we have the Holy Spirit, but just practically, if there was no reference to a Holy Spirit, how would we live our lives any differently? And they came to the conviction that in spite of the fact they're long-term believers, in spite of the fact they got a seminary, in spite of the fact that they're missionaries to Europe, that their experience of the Holy Spirit was so slight, they would not live their life any different. And so the question is, in your life, how compelling is your experience of the Holy Spirit? Now, Let me say this, that I often think that as followers of Jesus, that often the Holy Spirit is active in our life. We simply haven't learned to identify it. Like, let me give you a couple examples. I've had many of you come up over the years, uh, email, next step desserts, after a service, and you'll say to me, man, that's just like when you're teaching, I I don't know what happened, but when you're teaching, I just feel like it's just for me. I I just feel like I'm the only one in the room. I I don't even know why these other people are there, you know? (laughs) And we'll often talk to him is that's really not me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. What, but, by the way, I always tell people, find a church where that happens to you. <laughs> you know, If you're not sure where that happens to you, find a church where it does happen to you. Because that needs to be happening. Like When you come to church, it should feel like it's speaking to you. Right? You should feel like God's speaking. So, so I say, you know, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. So what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is taking the truth of his word, and he's just applying it to your life in such a powerful and profound way that he's just, it just, it feels like you're the one person in the room, but that's just really what he's, what he does, right? So you may not identify that as the Holy Spirit. You experience it, you don't identify it. Uh, another example, um, you are making a major decision. You're completely confused. It's a big decision. It's an important decision. You're confused. So many issues, don't know what to do. You're praying, God, would you give me wisdom? And one day you're in the shower. Maybe it's while you're in prayer, but maybe it's in your shower. A couple weeks later, you're driving the freeway. You're here in worship. And all of a sudden, it just, this thought comes with crystal clarity, uh, great power, and sense of weightiness, and you know exactly what you're supposed to do. And it just cuts through all the clutter, and you just can see it. And you may not identify that as, hey, the Holy Spirit just downloaded something to me, but that's exactly what happened. But you just don't identify that. Another example, many Christians have had this experience where you're just kind of minding your own business, and one day, uh, just, you begin to think of someone. This person comes to mind. You may have seen him for a long time, but you just—they just keep coming back to your mind. And finally, you break down and you pray for him. Right? And then pretty it keeps happening. And so you finally give him a call. You haven't seen him in a while. And you say, "Hey, I haven't seen you in a while, but you just been on my mind a lot. Just like give a call, how are things going?" They say, "I can't believe you're calling today. My husband just left me, and I don't know what I'm going to do." And so what's happening is the Holy Spirit has been prompting you, but you just didn't recognize it. You didn't understand. Are you with me on this? So this, I think, often with Christ followers, we just don't rec- we just haven't grown enough to we recognize it. Here, here's the Holy Spirit. But having said all that, the question is, what is your level of experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life today? And is it compelling? Is it fresh? Is it real? Is it consistent? Are you experiencing the presence and the power of your of the Holy Spirit moving you? Are you experiencing power over sin, uh, direction? So are you experiencing it in such a way that if all the references to the Holy Spirit were taken out of the Bible, you'd still know the Holy Spirit because you have, you've received him and he's changed your life and he's such an important part of your life that you wouldn't know how to do life without him. And it's so compelling that your experience of the Holy Spirit is so real that that's how you know the whole story is real. It's interesting, growing up, I would ask questions about the Holy Spirit, and people would tell me, well, you, you have the Holy Spirit because the Bible tells you you have the Holy Spirit. So you just kind of trust that the Bible says it, you believe it, that settles it. That's how you know you have the Holy Spirit, because the Bible tells you that. That's like so unbiblical. The Bible says over and over again, the way we know this stuff is true is because the Holy Spirit's telling us, Amen. right? Right? And so the question for you is, is to what extent are you experiencing it? And here's my question. If you're not satisfied with your current level of experience with the Holy Spirit, I want to challenge you as your pastor, please do not settle for a second-hand Christianity. This is your birthright. This is why Jesus died, so you can experience his presence in your life. So Father, Son, and Spirit can move into your life and the presence of Jesus is real and is powerful and is life-giving. And if you're not experiencing that, you're getting robbed of your birthright. This is who you're created to be and this is your promise of the next life that this whole story is true. And so I'd say, if you're not experiencing, don't settle. Rise up and say, God, I want more. I want to know and experience the Holy Spirit in a powerful and compelling way. And, you know, Jesus encourages us to do this. There in your note sheet, in chapter Luke uh, 11 of Luke, um, Jesus is talking about prayer and the importance of being persistent in prayer. And he says, if you then, uh, talking to the crowds, if you then, though you are evil, you know, you're part of a fallen, evil race, <clears throat> if you then, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. I mean, even though you're a fallen parent, you can still do nice things. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask, ask him. And so I'm saying, if you're, if you're not happy with your experience of the Holy Spirit, if it's not compelling, not fresh, it's not real, then ask him. This is your birthright. Ask him. And Jesus says, be persistent and keep on asking until he answers that question. Seek him. <clears throat> now, When you ask him, I want to challenge you. You need to ask a second question, though. Not just will you give me more, but the second question is, is there anything in my life right now that is keeping you from pouring out your spirit in my life? Because the Bible says we can quench the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes, the reason we're not experiencing it is because there's an area of our life we refuse to surrender. And often, this goes back years before. There was something God spoke to us and called, and we refused to listen. And what happened is our heart got hard, and we've not experienced like we used to experience because at a certain point, we said no. And so when you ask, you need to be willing to let the Holy Spirit come and do what he needs to do. And so you have to be willing to do so. But the first thing you know, you need to ask, are you, are you happy? Are you, are you experiencing the Holy Spirit? Number two, the second question is, are you living for his glory? Now, this is the great paradox. We, we saw today that we are designed to live for his glory. All things are created by him and for him. You are designed to live for his glory And here's the great paradox. It turns out that when God asks us to live for his glory, he's asking us to live for our joy. Because since he is the most excellent thing, that if we live for anything else, we're ripping ourselves off. When we live for him, we're living for the ultimate. and we live for the ultimate, it leads to joy. And so... If you're not living for his glory, you're not living the way you're designed to live, and you'll be like a caged animal. See, eagles were created to fly. Lions were created to roar. Fish are created, salmon created to, to swim upstream. And it's in being themselves that they live their lives to the full, but they also bring God the most glory. When the eagle's in flight, that's when he brings God glory. You put an eagle in a cage, then bring all glory. Eagle in flight reflects the glory of God. The lion roaring as king of the jungle of the night reflects the glory. The salmon fighting upstream, incredibly so, reflects the glory. You were designed to reflect the glory. See, all of creation is designed to reflect the glory. Remember Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. But to catch of all creation, you have the capacity to bring God the most glory because you were created in the image of God. And when the Holy Spirit is operating in your life and you're being transformed to be like God and you're, you're becoming like him in his compassion and his sacrifice and his love and his courage and his endurance, you're becoming like God You are reflecting the glory. You see, God is the painter. We are the painting. And the more beautiful the painting, the more glory the painter gets. You see? So when your life is becoming what you were designed to be, you are experiencing joy, but God's receiving glory. You see how that works? And so the question is, are you living for the glory? And the interesting thing is is these two issues, the spirit and the glory, and now they intersect. Because what we find is that the reason the Holy Spirit comes into our lives is to give Jesus glory. In fact, there in your note, sheet, in Luke chapter, I mean in uh, uh, John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his men. It's the last night before he is arrested. He's talking about the coming of the Spirit. And he says, he, uh, meaning the spirit, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What's he talking about? He says, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and open your eyes to who I am. He's going to show you my my brilliance and my power and my compassion and my mercy and my courage. And he's just going to unpack me. He's going to show me as creator of the universe. He's going to reveal who I am. And as he does, he's going to bring me glory. See, that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring Jesus glory. Now, catch this. When you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life in greater measure, often we ask it not so we can bring Jesus glory, but for our own selves. So we say, hey, would you film? because I'm kind of depressed, could I just kind of go forward and get this emotional experience, and could I just have this experience of the Holy Spirit, and then I'll feel better? Could, could I have this experience of the Holy Spirit and, then, then, and just kind of bless my life and I'll make more money? Hey, could I have this experience? then I could get the girl? You know, then I'll be happy. That's not the job of the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to transform your life and to open your eyes to who Jesus is till he becomes your ultimate value in life. And you're totally captivated by him and you're pursuing him with your whole heart because when you are pursuing with your whole heart, everyone looks around and says, Whoever that person is pursuing must be awesome because look at how passionate they are. And who is this God who's captured your affection? I'm around people that's captured by success at their job or how much money they make or how beautiful they are or how much sex they can have or what drugs they can experience. But you're saying none of that comparison knowing Him. He must be amazing. You see? And so when the Holy Spirit comes in and he transforms us to be like Jesus, we become amazing. And as we become amazing, God gets the glory. Amen. But when we ask the Holy Spirit, come in and just make my life nice, it's like the Holy Spirit's like, uh, sorry, that's not in my job description. You see, and that's why the obedience issue. We want, God, I want your presence. I want your power. I want your comfort. I want your teaching. Hey, but I want to live for myself and bring myself glory. Sorry, get back to me when your agenda changes. You see? That the spirit and the glory come together. And so this, today, as we we wrap this up, we're going to go into a time of worship right now. And I'm going to give you a chance to... Go before God in your life. And these two questions for you. Number one, are you experiencing the Holy Spirit? And number two, are you living for the glory? And if you say, you know, I'm not experiencing the Holy Spirit. I'm not living for the glory. And I want to. We want to create some space here for you to go before God and to ask him. And maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to change. Maybe you need to surrender. I don't know what it is. But we're going to give you a chance. And we're going to teach you a new song. And we're just going to stand right now. We're going to go before the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to enter into his presence and do business with God, whatever you need. Let's pray. Father, we come today, this place, this time, and we come for two reasons. That we want to experience your spirit in a deeper, most profound way. We, we are followers of Jesus. We know we have the Holy Spirit, but we want a fresh anointing. We want a fresh, a fresh release. Like your early church, when you would come upon these, these believers and just fill them with your spirit. They go out with power and boldness and joy. We, we, we want to experience that. We want, we don't, we're not just looking for an emotional experience. We're looking for a, a sustainable, ongoing way of life where you live in us and you lead us and you guide us. And we want that so that our lives can be transformed and changed so that you'll receive glory. And so, God, we come before you now as your people. We ask you to come and be with us as we pursue you. Um, You've been chosen before time began to be part of this process, to be forgiven, uh, to be adopted to be filled with his spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, which is your guarantee that the whole story is true and the next life is real. And we need to be living this life for the next life because we are going to rule with him forever. And the word says, hey, the world may not recognize you right now, but there will come a time when he will come back, you will be revealed as who you truly are. My prayer for our church is we wouldn't wait until he comes back to realize who we are that we would live large, that we would go big, that we would live epic. We embrace the vision. I hope you can come back next week as we take the next step in this journey. God bless you guys.